Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of The Mentor. Our guest today is Kyle Van Dahl. Now Kyle is the founder of a digital agency called Digilante. They specialise in creating rebrands and emphasise rebrands and new campaigns in the digital space. And according to their website, they're digital disruptors and straight talkers. Well, I'm going to be testing that. I also want to get stuck into the details about why agencies in general are finding it hard to innovate and actually do new things. Is it red tape or processes? We're just being stuck in the last century thinking about what they're about to do. Or, by the way, is it just complacency, laziness, or just been enjoying a long period of doing really well? There's lots of things I want to look at, and I'm going to be talking to someone who's on the inside and has now gone out and started on his own. He's trying to do things completely differently. Plenty to talk about, so let's get into it. Kyle, welcome to The Mentor. Thanks, Mark. Okay, give me a bit about your background. So where have you come from? He's young, you're a young fellow by looking at you straight up. Um, I mean, you've already gone through an evolution. So give me where it started. Tell me straight up. Yeah, cool. So I uh, went to university at UTS, did a Bachelor of Communications, and sort of went straight from high school through to uni. And after that, I was like, look, I'm going to need a break. I want to go do some traveling. So I thought I'll, I'll grab a sort of clerical admin job and went on the UTS job board and uh, found, a, found a position at a sort of an agency. And I was like, what's, what's an agency? Didn't know what an agency was, but looked exactly what I wanted. It was sort of part-time. So I did that and, um, yeah, sort of got to, to know that industry and, and that space. And, uh, after about a year and a half decided to, um, do my own thing. So I had a guy who I was working with, uh, Paul, he was a contractor and he said, look, why don't you come and join me? Uh, we'll do, you know, do stuff together. So, uh, yeah, we set up a, a business called Sitback. And uh, yeah, from there, we were working on projects. What sort of work do you do at an agency? Like, are we talking about a typical advertising agency or a digital agency? Or what, what's the agency do that where you're working at with this guy? What's his name? Paul. Yeah, Paul. Okay, explain it. Yeah, so basically, uh, building websites uh, for clients. We were doing a lot of support. So, you know, a client's website would uh, go down or there would be a bug. So we would go in and, and fix that type of thing. So um, it was sort of just the two of us. We had some contractors that were working with us. Uh, and then sort of at a point we were, um, uh, we, we ended up actually, uh, pitching for the Subaru account. Right. So, but is that like, are you talking, are you more like a technical support sort of, were you more like someone who builds websites when you said that? Is it more like technical support or were you actually coming up with say campaigns, creative campaigns? Probably better yeah. Way of at it. this stage, no. So that, that was kind of the interesting evolution as to where I've ended up. So, uh, the stuff that we were doing uh, over there was more of that kind of yeah tech support, um, IT support type stuff. So uh, when, when you did your university degree, 
comms, uh, Bachelor of uh, Communications. Um, did they teach you or give you some exposure to the creative side of things? Because I'm not exactly sure what the degree does, or does yeah. it, or is it more a technical degree? Well, interestingly, I actually wanted to be a journalist. So both my brother and my father uh, were in journalism, and uh, that was initially what I was hoping to do, but it was really difficult to get into. So the, the degree I ended up in was uh, quite technically focused, so coding and, and right. sort of understanding kind of taxonomy and these types of things. So I sort what? of what's taxonomy? Uh, it's kind of it's kind of like uh, on on websites you can have things like uh, you know around your so your information architecture so all of your labeling of of the menus and those types of things so it was more around sort of information organization uh, and then I did some minors in in technology so front end coding development that type of stuff right okay so you're quite sort of skilled and uh, edu- well educated in um, how you put a website together and how you, you know, make it digi- digitally enabled so to speak yeah for any business out there so I get that bit so and then you and then this guy Paul you're working with you, you started to get some on the job experience with him um, yeah uh, and I obviously got had a little bit with the agency yeah as well. yeah correct so uh, that that sort of was sort of a, a bit fake it till you make it type thing so um, you know look we were, we were pretty um, small we were fledgling we were you know trying to kind of uh, you know kind of do jobs that were probably a little bit too big for us at the time um, but that was that was kind of our ethos was just kind of um, you know fake it till you make it and being, fuck it yeah fuck exactly it you, and and a not funny, fake it just fuck it just and, do it exactly and a, a funny story actually at the time I was like 23 and I, I looked young in general and I even looked even younger at 23 so I had a friend of mine who actually had breakfast with yesterday and there was a meeting that I had to go to and I paid him to come along and be my boss because I knew it was with with, with Travelex and I was like I, there's no way they're going to give this 23 year old punk. Uh, you know, a fifty thousand dollar job. So I paid this guy, um, Anthony, good friend of mine, who's got a few more grey hairs than me, to to come in and be my boss. And and they bought it, and we won the job. Yeah. So when you say you won the job, explain what job you won. Yes. Yeah, so, what are the jobs you've been winning? Yeah, you so, said Subaru, TravelX. Yeah. So at the time we were doing sort of uh, that particular TravelX uh, was like the the cash money cards. So they had uh, uh, an initiative with the um, uh, like the the sales team that you know. If they sold X amount of cards, they'd get, um, you know, rewards points and those types of things. So it was like, sort of like an internal B2B type thing that they were doing with like rewards points and those types of things. Yeah, right. So what, did you do something on the website or? Yeah, we built the site. Yeah. Right. You built, built the site. The site okay. Yeah. So, okay. So, so a typical agency, just let's just make it clear. A typical agency does creative. It does the the digital stuff for cut clients. Um it might help with public relations from time to time. It um, might even go out and book the ads, the ad space for them. That, that's just sort of typical old school agency. Uh, yeah, and and so when when Sitback was kind of uh, you know going through growth, and when we won that Subaru account, we we kind of tripled over tripled overnight, and it was really trick like really difficult because you know we didn't have the cash flow to support the growth, and we're actually doing work vicariously through another agency, and weren't getting paid for like ninety days, and it, it was tough. So we. We kind of started to broaden our services. Um, we went into sort of user experience and re- and, and research, um, but we weren't doing creative. We weren't doing the design stuff. Um, and both Paul and I were very technical. So through the Subaru account, we actually met a guy uh, called Eric, and he was doing um, all the Subaru's kind of uh, uh, retail like environmental design, the the brochures, the print stuff. Um, and we ended up working with him on a project, which was to 
was the first website to ever sell a car online, which was for the BRZ. Um, and so we paired up with him. He did the, the design. We did all the development. Um, could take payments through. You could trade your old car in. It was pretty cool um, at the time. And so we sort of started to go, okay, well, this is this is a good relationship. We had a, a shared love of Guinness. So we thought, why not do work together? And you, you take care of the, the the creative and we'll take care of the, the you know, the research and the, and the technology. Um, and over time, yeah, we sort of, people were saying to us like, why, why do you guys do this separately? Why don't you do it together? So, you know, I'd said to Paul, look, I think there's a really good opportunity for us to do something that's more creative focused, more brand focused, but still has that, that technology brought in the services. So, so, um, we set up Digilante, which is the, the business that I co-founded with Eric and Paul, uh, and, um, Eric and myself, the directors, and we run that sort of day to day. And that, that, that now is the sort of more full service, what you, you'd see in a typical agency. So, um, brand, creative, uh, design, development, we do media, um, brokering and, and purchasing and strategies. So social media, all that sort of stuff. So and that's the evolution. So that's where you, that's how you started and, and how long did that all take? Yeah. So sit back was about eight or nine years ago now. Um, and that still runs as a business. Um, it's very successful. Um, I'm no longer in the operational day to days, but still a shareholder and Digilani is four and a half, almost five years old now. Okay. So you've sort of been a 15 years or something like that. About 10, yeah, 10, 10 years, years now, yeah. Okay, so that that's just, the reason I say this is because I think people often think that they can start up a business in two or three years and these things take a long time to evolve into where you end up and, and it'll evolve even more. You, you, in 10 years' time, you'll be totally different to what you are now. Yeah. So after 20 years. So when I introduced you, um, I said that uh, you're, you specialize in creating rebrands. Yes. And new campaigns in the digital space. Yeah. Let's have a look at what that means. What do you mean? Yeah, so I think now more than ever with the millennial generation and even even younger is that, that there's a lot of traditional brands that, you know, heritage brands that have been around for a long time that are struggling to remain relevant to these markets and these audiences. So we find that a lot of the work that we do is kind of these these transformations or even, you know, even um, revolution, you know, uh, or evolution of brands. So these, um, you know, traditional um, business models, which might have been bricks and mortar or, you know, B2B or through broker partners are no longer as relevant because the market's changed and the audience just changed so much. So for us, it's a real, that's a real opportunity um, to, to, you know, from a client perspective. Right. So, yeah. So do, do people come to you and say to you, look, we need to, how do people know they need to rebrand? Yeah. So typically that, you know, if it's a, a large, maybe ASX listed company, um, they'll, They'll have, you know, obviously, you know, performance that they're seeing that they're not uh, what they were and, and, you know, in their sort of the prime and the, the heyday. And they're recognizing that the way in which they do business or the, the products that they offer um, are becoming less and less relevant. And they're struggling to find their place in, in a, a much more crowded market space. They've got they've got the brand, they've got sort of the, the, the brand equity and the trust and they've got a, a, a customer base, um, but it could be an aging customer base. So... The you know typically the 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 strategy that the the board or the C level are driving and they recognise that they need to transform the business to 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 stay stay alive. Right. Okay. So I, I get that. Um. That that's and and you. I also said in the introduction that you're a digital disruptor. So you, which means, for, in my point of view, like the, you know the definition of a digital of a disruptor of any type is somebody who uses technology to. Um, advance a product that everybody needs at a cheaper and more uh, cheaper sustainably cheaper price and uh, and at more touch points in other words 
Um, I get the same product out that everyone else has always been doing, but I can do it a lot cheaper and I get it out to more people using technology. So where do you guys fit into that? Yeah, how, do you, I, how, do you, how do you roll there? I guess the, the term disrupt is a bit of a buzzword and can get thrown around a lot and people are saying, oh, we're disrupting, we're disrupting. Um, but what, what does it actually mean? I think there's different ways that you can do it. So yes, obviously from a technology perspective or you've got a way in which you can improve a product and do it faster, do it cheaper. Um, so if we look at the service um, you know, instead of it being a product, if our, if the product we have is a service, and that's kind of how we disrupt. So, um, you know, our culture is, is like no dickhead policy. So the people that work with us are, you know, uh, all on board with that vision. And we want to do things differently, um, which is a bold claim. And I think a lot of people say that they do things differently. But for us, a lot of the, even in our space, the sort of the, the bigger agencies, similar to our clients, are, are struggling to remain relevant. And they've become so big and so cumbersome that they can't move quickly. So we're able to disrupt those guys by offering um, you know, faster, um, not cheaper, but more cost-effective ways of doing things. And a lot of our clients are going, you know, if I speak to... I don't know, M- you know, MNC Saatchi or Saatchi and Saatchi or, a, you know, a, a publicist mojo, they're telling me it's, you know, six to 12 weeks to, to draw up a statement of work and a contract and we can get the job done in the same amount of time. Um, and these clients who are struggling to to remain relevant or looking to transform, they don't have the, the luxury of time to do, you know, the, the old way of things, which is this kind of waterfall, you know, approach where you do one thing, then you do the next thing, then you do the next thing. So for us, we can be really agile and fast, um, do things in sprints and, and get it done a lot quicker. Okay, so, I mean, apart from using the terminology, agile, sprints, etc., um, they're, they're, they're words, but, um, and, and, you know, they're cool buzzwords, but uh, what you're basically saying is the big guys have got bigger and bigger and bigger and just suck the oxygen out of the system, mm. and uh, what you're doing is actually you're running around the edges and you're just getting around them really quickly, you know, like you're, and you're doing things that they would ordinarily take a long time to do. So you're not using technology to do it. You're just using attitude. Yeah. And I think, I think there is an element of technology as well. So, um, for us, the, the client looks at us and says, you know, we need you guys to know like what's next. So we're having to, you know, the pressure is on us to be looking forward because the clients are so much more in the day to day. They're just worried about doing their job and delivering and, um, you know, meeting the, the, the customer needs at the time. So yeah, we're, we're looking at things like AI and VR and AR and how all of those new technologies will actually change the way in which the customers do business, how we do business, the services we offer. So yeah, a big part of what we're doing is, is looking forward and um, try to adopt new technologies and find innovative new ways of doing things. And quite often we'll, you know, go present that to a client and say, you know, this is what's going on, this is what's out there, this is what's happening and you need to be, you know, on board with this. Are you saying though that the big agencies don't use AR, VR, et cetera? I mean, are you suggesting, I mean, surely they, they know about those sort of things. I mean, surely they've got young blokes like you or guys your age anyway, sitting in the agency you know about AR and VR and they're running around clamoring and say, hey boss, we should be taking this to our client. Yeah, look, I'm sure... You know, it's not an exclusivity that we have access to, you know, or, or, or vision of these new technologies. I think it's just the, the speed in which we can implement it um, or the ability to be, um, you know, kind of more innovative because we don't have sort of a process that we have to go through to be able to do something. If we've got an idea and we want to do something, we just do it. We don't okay. have to kind of business case and justify it. And I think it's important because I just want people who are listening to, uh, to understand this because being agile and being able to, do it, do it in a sprint version as opposed to sort of going through a long, drawn-out process, um, allows someone like you to beat the inertia that sort of exists within big organisations. 
Um, you don't necessarily have to do it with technology. It's sort of about vision and attitude and uh, obviously you have to be up to date. You have to have all the knowledge about all the various things that you can suggest to your client. Um, but what you're saying is that you can beat inertia right now. I think you've got uh, 16 staff. Yeah. Um, at what point do you sort of stop growing or, or put it another way at what point do you get worried that shit I've now got 52 staff mm. and I'm going to become like the very agency that I uh, got around exactly yeah and that's that's a very much at the front of our minds is how do you keep that that sort of energy and the culture of of being fast and nimble and lean um in agile um and and not become the very business that you're looking to disrupt so look I don't have an answer in terms of right here and now I just know that part of our vision is to maintain the culture and the attitude. Um, and I think if you, you kind of keep that embedded in the business, um, and always know that, you know, what, what you stand for and why you started, uh, and you know, what you ultimately wanted to set out to achieve from the beginning, then, um, you can avoid becoming, you know, the very thing you, you set out to, to change or, can you? or challenge. Are you sure? I mean, um, have you got to a point where you've had to make that decision? Look, I mean, uh, there's always going to be... So I'll ask you another question. Yeah. So Kyle, come, someone comes in and says to you, this is a massive job, Commonwealth Bank. Yeah. And uh, you need to put 10 more people on. What do you say? Well, I think the, the, I'd say, yeah, sure. So if, if if the 10 more people are going to help deliver it quicker and faster and, and more more efficiently, then then absolutely. And I think it's... But all of a sudden, you've got to manage these 10 more people. Yeah, and, and look, we, we've changed over time. So, you know, we have a, a general manager now. We've got team leads. There's, you know, all, all the things that you, you go through as, as you grow that you know, okay, we need better systems and processes. But we put all of those things in place to be able to um, maintain or retain the, the way in which we do things. So I think as long as you have that, you know, in front of mind as this is how, you know, this is why we're doing things and how we want to do things, um, and... You, you, you keep that kind of that culture and, and that energy, then I, I'm confident that we could, could could keep it up no matter what size we become. Well, I, 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 I sort of don't think that's going to work, <laughs> if you don't mind me saying so. Um, you know, because I've, I've been through it. Yeah, sure. Twice. And, uh, and I, I look at someone like uh, Microsoft. Um, they're, they're massive organizations today. They're not cool anymore like yeah. they used to be. Although they were cool, but you know, don't worry, they got and it, they're making plenty of money. But at some stage, you know, they're ubiquitous too; they're everywhere. Mm. Um, at some stage, you have to trade off. Um, you either say, "I'm not going to get any bigger," "I'm not going to accept the Commonwealth Bank job," um, but I'm not going to make as much money as I could make if I did ex- accept the Commonwealth Bank job. Sure. Um, in other words, the trade will become uh, re- uh, more revenue and more profit, bigger business, more. Uh, underlying value mm. versus stay lean and mean and um, never get into that territory. Yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, it's it's a bit like a a really good fighter, a really good boxer. They start off as a, a welterweight and they move up to the next division and then eventually the middleweight because they're getting older and they can't keep that really sort of skinny sort of body anymore. And eventually they end up in the you know the super middleweights and they're fighting blokes actually who are younger than them but are much bigger than them. But leaner than them, and they actually they end up getting beaten. Yeah. So it's very hard to stay down in that right down in that territory, that real lean, yeah, hungry young territory. Because one at some stage you don't have a grey hair on yet, as I look at you. <laughs> but at some stage you're going to have a lot of grey hairs, and you're going to sort of. And I wonder whether you you would say, you'll say to me in ten years' time, you know, Mark, you're right because, you know, I don't really have the same level of fight in me as I had 10 years ago. And by the way, I'm making much more money and I've got a family and I want to spend some time with my family and I've actually 
changed my whole lifestyle. I, I just wonder. Look, totally. And I see it happen everywhere. And ex- yeah, and look, I'm I'm not saying that I'm you know immune to that, and the business is not immune to that. And there's you know you could make the conscious a conscious decision to to set a, a limit on how big you get, so that you can always uh, maintain you know you know that culture or, or that energy. So um, I think the challenge for us is. Well, that is the challenge. It's like to to be able to grow and sustain and retain that. So, look, could, could could be wrong, and and you're right. It happens all the time. You know, brands themselves reach a zenith and then they they fall off. Um, Your and, own brand, and, and and that's right. So the, the the very thing that we're targeting or trying to do with our with our customers, where you know they be, start to become irrelevant, it can happen to us as well. So no one is you know no one's immune to that. Especially these days, because it, like the, the world's full of upstarts. Yeah, uh, they're everywhere. And uh, you know, the, and you know, the the I mean, we talk about Moore's law. You know, the speed at which technology changes um, and doubles its capacity, transistors double their capacity in every two years. I my, my today competition doubles its capacity to me like every six months. There's always a new, literally a new competitor every six months, or more than one new competitor every six months, who's offering the same product, the same uh, the same price or cheaper. Using technology, or and you know, got branding, and they're do, doing everything that you were doing, say a, a year ago, eighteen months ago, and it's happening more and more and more and more. Yeah. And the the, the question does: Do you still want to keep being that new person, or do you actually take that sort of uh, elevated position and maintain your sort of self as a kingdom, and uh, you know, look after the good clients you got? Yeah. From the right proposition day one now, and uh, just grow with them as opposed to. Um, trying to be the lean, hungry sort of new guy on the block. Yeah, look, you can never get comfortable. I think, you know, the way my experience and what I've seen in the last sort of 10 years of having my own business is you've, you've constantly uh, have to be on the front foot and evolving. So that at no point do we sort of just sit back and go, all right, we're going to play it cool and play it safe and just work with the clients we have. Because, you know, no matter how good you are, there's there's always going to be attrition and we, we're going to lose either staff or, or, or clients. So there's a cycle where we have to, you know, kind of maintain the, the current relationships, but also feeding the feeding the machine of... of Which means you've got to get new, bigger. Uh, well, you, yeah, or you've got to keep things moving along to to be able to, you know, maintain the, the, the size of team So you do have. you know, would you know, um, for example what your attrition rate is. So, I mean, have you got a sort of view on it? Sort of, uh, yeah. Like in other words, and I should explain to people listening. So, um, you know, I, I get to a point where uh, I've got 100 clients and I have those 100 clients, the revenue from those 100 clients is X and that mm. feeds Y amount of cost and leaves me a bit on the, bit over, something left over for, you know, you the proprietor. Um, and I now know that for uh, in order to maintain that position, I need I'm losing three uh, ten, 10 clients a year, which means I'm I go from 100 to 90. Um, but I still got the same cost level, which means I either get rid of the cost levels, or alternatively I um, increase my new clients by another 10, hopefully 11, so that I at least mm. maintain my stock. Do you do that exercise? Yeah. So for our client base, it's quality, not quantity. So we're not a business of, you know, we've got a hundred. No, no. I'm just using a mathematical example. You might have 20. Just to give context. Yeah. Yeah. So look, the stickiness is pretty good. And and because I think of the work that we do and the the spectrum of services we offer, we we kind of get ingrained and it's almost sort of like the custodians of the brand. And when you create or or recreate a a new or existing brand, um, you often become quite sticky because you you have that sort of IP and that um, sort of insight and knowledge around uh, their brand that they become quite reliant on you to, to 
to maintain the consistency or, or you know, they need someone to help them uh, kind of maintain the integrity of the brand. So the, the attrition is pretty low. Um, we're really sticky with, with clients. But in the four and a half years that, um, that Digilani has been around, I'd say maybe we'd lose, say, two a year. Um, and then the average tenure of staff member would probably be about three years. So how many would you gain a year? Um, probably there's different types. There's ones where it could be just project based. So look, we need you to do this. And then when it's done, thanks very much. And we'll give you a buzz. Uh, and then there's the other ones where you sort of become the incumbent. So in terms of that, the larger one where it's more of the, the annuity type work where we're doing work every month, um, it would be maybe one or two large large clients well that sounds yeah it sounds like it's sort of maintainable so yeah you're, you're not lose you're not at that point yet where you're gaining so many that you have to build your staff numbers up to maintain that position yeah. that's a good position like it'd be different if you said to me oh you're gaining 20 a year i'd be saying well that means you're putting on enough more staff to service 20 which means you become more vulnerable if you're likely to lose four or five because yeah. all of a sudden you're stuck with the staff numbers yeah I mean, exactly do you, do you employ people or are they on contract no so everyone's full-time that's that's a good point because i was going to mention we so that the staff base of 16 are sort of, I guess, aligned against the the level of work that we know is consistent. So we know that, you know, client X will always, you know, typically spend this or we have a retainer with them so that we have we have this, I guess, almost like, a um, you know, an obligation to deliver that amount of work. So we need to make sure we have enough people to do it. Then there's obviously a little bit of, um, you know, kind of fat around in the utilization. So we've got the flexibility so that we can have that sort of, uh, you know, our ethos of being fast and agile. You know, if we if we said to a client, it's like, that's great, we've got the job, but we can't start till this this time because we don't have enough staff. Therefore, we, we kind of don't have that and we're not living up to that. So there's a little bit of fat, but we can also throttle up with contractors, throttle up, throttle down. So um, we've got like, a, I guess, a virtual bench of, of people that we use on a regular basis and they themselves are, are freelancers or contractors that can sort of be pretty flexible if you give them a buzz and say, hey, can you dive in and, and help us with this project? So... There's less margin in using a contractor, um, and and typically, you know, the, if you if you can't get a good one that's reliable, it can be riskier. Uh, but yeah, we've got a good a good sort of virtual bench, as I call it, of of people we can call on any one time. Well, like everybody, I've got to go to a break. Listen to our advertisers. Um, hopefully, they're getting um, advice from Digilante. Um, <laughs> and when I come back, I'm going to talk to Kyle about the challenges that he's facing, particularly in the space of innovation and thinking differently because this is what he's trying to do, think differently, and how does he maintain the rage? That's the most important thing. How do you maintain the rage, not only himself, but everyone within the office, a whole 16 staff and whatever it extends to? Okay, we're back from the break. I want to start talking about the biggest challenges you face. Kyle, straight up, what are they, mate? Uh, look, you mentioned staff before. Um, it's th- that is a big challenge. Um, we're very lucky; we've got a great crew. Um, but certainly, that doesn't you know that's to say that doesn't have its challenges. Um, everyone's a person, and they've got their own lives outside of work. And um, you know, creating a culture that you that you can maintain, and also have um, you know very different people and personalities that can kind of align to that um, is certainly a challenge. So, we're we don't profess to be experts at it, and there are people that are specifically experts at, you know, staff and culture. Um, and that, you know, over the years, we've had some some awesome people, and we've had some terrible people. Um, like I said, we, we do have a no dickhead policy, and that that relates to clients, but also staff. Uh, and you know, I've I've been in a situation where I've literally had to like 
escort someone out of the office um, for for making uh, racist remarks. So we've we've had our challenges, and and you know in that particular example. Um, there was a, it was sort of this time last year and we were under a lot of pressure. We'd picked up some new projects uh, and we we actually engaged a recruiter. So we were like, all right, we're not going to try and do it ourselves. We got to f- keep focused on on doing this, this work. Uh, and look, we didn't do enough due diligence around that particular candidate. Um, they, we threw them in the deep end and then we, you know, sort of quickly realized maybe after six weeks that there were some issues and there were some problems with them and there were certainly not the type of person that we wanted in our business. So, you know, I think that was a very expensive um, mistake as well. Obviously, the, the the fee and then you've got the, you know, kind of the time that you invest in training that person up, the risk that if their client facing, then the client's looking at it and going, what happened to that guy? And, you know, all that sort of thing. So, yeah, um, we've had some doozies. <laughs> so what did you do when, when you flicked this person? So what's your response? Uh, once the person's gone, what do you, what's your response with the client? So in that particular instance, he, he this 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 guy had access to the systems that we were using. So we we're using like Slack, which is a like a chat tool, and obviously he was privy to um, some some sensitive information. So I, I said, look, I'm just going to get ahead of it and and get in front of it. And I called the client and explained that we had a, a an issue with that particular person. And uh, luckily, the client was very understanding. Uh, they, I had a good relationship with him, and he said, "Oh, the, you know, the, he literally said, oh, the joys of, of running a small business.'" I'm like, "Yeah, yeah, <laughs> pretty okay. much." Yeah. I think that, but I think it's important. I mean, I, I know people listening, when you have a problem with a staff member who's interfacing with your customers or the customers of the business, if you've got a problem, if you've got a problem, first thing you got to do is you got to go and actually. That's what leadership's about. You get in front of the client. Mm. Um, that's the game. So, in terms of, I said earlier before the break, maintaining the rage. Who's the leader? in the organisation that the staff and the business looks to to maintain the rage? Is it you or Eric or Paul? Who is it? Yeah, so, uh, and this is an interesting one. So, uh, just a bit more background. So, um, Paul is 10 years older than me and uh, Eric is 15 years older than me. So, I've also got to be conscious of the fact that, um, and and more so with Eric as as Paul's not operational all day to day, but more so with Eric, you know, uh, he's at a different life stage to me. Um, he's been doing it a lot longer than me as well. So his background was traditional uh, advertising, Leo Burnett's and, and those types of organizations. Um, so yeah, to, to keep the the foot on the on the gas and, and, and keep the kind of, um, you know, keeping that sort of um, maintaining the momentum is, is tricky. And, you know, it's kind of like... Um, you know, you, you're constantly getting punched in the face and you've, you've like to, to the boxing analogy, you can't, you're constantly getting punched in the face, but you've got to keep, a, you've got to keep, you know, a brave face and, you, and you've got to keep kind of giving everybody hope that, you know. Who does it? And I'd say Eric and I do a, a, a good share at each. And in terms of roles, I'm the managing director and Eric's the creative director. So I guess ultimately. Who's the leader? Who yeah. Leads, who leads people day to day? Who yeah. Are? Ultimately would be myself in, in the sense of, if you had like a, a captain of the ship going, this is where we're going and this is why we're going there. Um, but I'd obviously, you know, a lot of that is done in consultation with Eric. Um, but from a day, a day-to-day perspective, if we're talking finances, if we're talking, you know, team, um, you know, the, you know, those types of things and setting KPIs and career development plans, I work closely with my general manager with that as well. So, yeah. Who do they look to? The staff? Um, well, they've got line reports. So I'd say immediately if they've got a problem, um, and this is something we only did probably, I'd say eight or nine months ago, and it's been really effective. So, uh, previously you'd have say 16 people reporting to you, but by putting in the line reports, you end up going, 
you, you can kind of then create a, a, almost like a, an org structure that allows you to then manage two or three people directly and then they can manage. Oh, look, we're a small team, so there's always, you know, interfacing at you well, know, every level. reporting, that's a lot. So, yeah, yeah. So, it takes I mean, a lot of time. So th- those line reports really help by kind of filtering out some of the things that can probably be handled. Um, sounds like big business to me, mate. Yeah, no, I know. It sounds like big business coming on. Uh, I mean, because the, the big issue for all businesses like your, yours, Agile, you know, uh, lean, etc. The big issue, which is why we have all this t- yeah. uh, t- terminology like you know, lean, <laughs> yeah, lean management systems, uh, is because we all recognise at the end of the day, um, you're the guy, you're the proprietor. Yeah. Um, as opposed to you know, Ian Rev is not the proprietor of Commonwealth Bank. Mm. It's 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 a business in itself. It owns itself. You're the proprietor in your business, and as you get larger, you can't do 16. You, you, you even get to a point where you can't do four because four are going to be coming to you with 16 problems. Yeah. So that's, that's going to be the issue. How do you replicate yourself? And it's not a cultural thing. It's, um, you know, they can see you as the, the leader, mm. but you're always going to get um, – you're going to lose the touch over time. And it's a big challenge. It's a yeah, challenge totally. for me. I mean, I, I, I have to go through it every day. Um, it's just something you can't avoid. You can't avoid this. And, and I, I don't think technology fixes it. I don't think uh, working harder or longer fixes it either. I don't think managers, you know, line managers fix it for you either. It's just something that exists. And as you become more successful and as you get more staff and you go from 16 to 20 to 30, um, you'll have, you know, when you've got 30, if you've got 16, you're four line managers. Now, you know, arguably, when you've got 30, you might have six managers. Mm. Six people reporting to you is a lot. Yeah. Um, so then what you'll say is, okay, well, what I'll do is I'll put another line of managers below the four. So everyone's reporting and what happens is you start to lose touch. And I just, it's normal. It's, yeah, it's, totally. It's a normal growth experience. And all you can do to maintain the rage is you've got to try and make the people in the, the four line managers become like a, an apostolate, your apostles. You know, that. in other words, I mean, the best example of this is Jesus Christ. Like, I don't want to get religious <laughs> or anything, but like the dude, right? Like uh, 2,000 years later, um, he's, it's still the, the the biggest religion in the world. So, and, and what he did is it was one guy and he started off with 12 people who were apostles who believed in everything. Then he sent them in all the different parts of the world and then they got their, their disciples and then they just started building the word ever since and they yeah. just kept maintaining the rage. Jesus is not around to maintain the rage anymore. But what he did is he inculcated with, with this sort of sense this belief, this um, um, purpose, sense of purpose. And it, it evolved, of course, but the, the initial sense of purpose. And sort of if you want to maintain the rage, that's sort of what you've got to do. You, the purpose that you give them is not going to be um, your purpose. It's the purpose. It's a higher order. Yeah. Um, and, you know, if you can get that higher order into their heads, and it's a bit hard in business because it's, com- it's about money. Mm. <laughs> it's, really, it's about commerce. Um, it's a bit harder to have a higher order there. Um, so that's that's going to be your challenge. And yeah. you as the leader, the guy, um, along with Eric and Paul, I guess, but like yours, you're the face of the joint. Mm. Um, that's going to be a big challenge to me. Yeah. Uh, because you're trying to do something different. And your big your big advantage at the moment is you're faster, you're probably more enthusiastic. Your, your team, I'm talking about your business, yeah. faster, more enthusiastic. As you say, no dickhead, no bullshit, no processes. Give me the job, get on, you're onto it straight away. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, same price, so you're not. It's not as if people have to pay a premium for it either. Correct. So yeah. That's a that's a big that's a big offer. It's yeah. a big advantage. Yeah. But maintaining that is going to be a big challenge for you. Yeah. Lucky you're young. Yeah, I, and I also think like looking at you know staff that are younger than me, and and 
you know, I guess I'm I'm in the bracket of a millennial, but if I look at sort of the, the younger millennials, it's not about money. They don't care about money. They don't care about, you know, me going to them and saying, hey, we did this many millions of dollars in revenue. They're like, I don't give a shit. The, their attitude is, what's in it for me? Like, what am I going to do? What am, what am I going to get? Or how am I going to uh, make an impact? And so, you know, that's that's a really important thing that the people are not as necessarily motivated by either you know, financial reward or, or looking at working for a business that's, that's performing. They're looking for, um, a, you know, a role that they, you know, they've got an impact or, you know, that a lot of, you know, that's why a lot of these businesses are looking at sort of um, philanthropic type of things and, and, and social purpose. And, and that's the, they're the types of things that, you know, I find that staff are looking at and going, hey, we should be doing this or we should be giving back or, you know, I want to, you know, I want to get to the top of Everest, but I don't want to climb up Everest. I just want to be there because I want to have an impact. I want to, you know, so th- these are all the other types of challenges as well. And those are the types of people that are going to start being the client as well. So we're going to find that the, the, the marketing manager or the head of marketing or the CMO in the next, you know, five to 10 years are going to be these, these types of people. So it's, that's another challenge you have is actually adapting to um, the mindsets and, uh, of the people that you work with or work for. So the, the big challenge going forward will be, finding recruits or disciples that believe. Yeah. And so tell me, what is it that you propose? What is it that Digilante believes? I mean, have you got to a point where you've refined that down to something that's definable or, or uh, speakable? I mean, it, might, it doesn't mean you have to have it now. Yeah. But I mean, I, mean what, I know why we exist and, and you know, it's, I guess our, our purpose is, we, we say that it's we're revolutionary thinkers. So, the, the way the way in which we look at things is is different, and and we're about making change and implementing change. Um, but in terms of why we exist and you know what is our purpose, no, I, I don't think we've 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 nailed that. But you're right; that is actually important, and I think that'll become more and more important for a lot of businesses over time, mm. because the the mindset of the customer or the people that work for the for the business are going, yeah, why do you exist? Like, what's your purpose? Correct. It's not, so like, why does Microsoft exist? It's not to create software. Like that's, and, and, you know, similarly, we, you know, with, with a lot of, of those brands, it's your output is not your purpose. Um, and I think that there's a lot of businesses. Well, Apple's that, output is not to make little black boxes, but it, little black handheld boxes, but it's actually to enhance your socialization, your education, your transactional life, make your life easier, blah, yeah. blah, blah. Yeah. Um, so what I'm trying to work out is what, 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 are you at a stage yet in Digilante where, you're, where you can articulate that or is it just still evolving? I'd say it's still evolving, yeah. And we, we've certainly not, you know, hit a maturity in, not in the sense that we're immature, but in, in terms of the business life cycle as to where we are, we're still probably a, you know, a toddler going into Trying to find your feet. Yeah, yeah. Um, or you know, we we we've sort of started to get um to get our feet and 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 we're kind of growing into sort of uh, you know a, a child. Um, and we know you know we know how to do things and we know you know we, we've got processes and we we've we've got sort of good clients and retained profit and all these sorts of things. Um, but yeah, th- there's certainly a long way to go in the, the evolution of our business to, to get to a point where you know, we're very, very clear as to, you know, why we exist and what our purpose is. I'm glad you accept that because that's, yeah. that's probably a major thing for your brand, your own brand. Yeah. Um, and, and actually it's a major business proposition too. It's not, mm. a, I mean, it, it's not just about faster, leaner, blah, blah, blah. That's yeah. all great. They're, they're, they're all, just attributes. They're of, transactional. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. They, they, they work. That's good. Yeah. 
But in order to get these millennials, as you say, you have to stand for something fresh, new, and sustainable. Yeah. Um, and, okay. and purpose. Well, yeah. I, 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 no, I get a good feeling from you know your, your, what you're telling me, and you're for a young fellow, you're very mature. You sort of, you sort of um, have already explored all these ideas. So, good on you. That's that's pretty cool. Um, Thanks. Very cool. Uh, I always give everyone an opportunity to ask me one question. Maybe we've already touched discussed it, but what's your one question to me? Yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm keen to know, like, and, and with your your TV show coming out, which I was looking into, um, you know, the the idea of, of being a mentor and 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 what's your, I guess, what's the motivation or what do you, what what's your purpose then um, to flip it back around on you uh, for doing that? Like, what do you what what do you hope to achieve um, personally, but also for the, for the people that you work with? Um. Probably not so much as a personal level, but more as a business uh, objective. Um, I take the view that I, I think there should be someone out there who actually gives back. I mean, one of the things I notice that's really popular in terms of technology today, what, what makes technology the best technology working for, to work like Google, etc., is um, Google's like a mentor. It, but it's not, but it's sort of like a mentor. It's a place you go and ask questions. Yeah. It's people's perception of what a mentor is. Um, someone, I need someone to tell me what to do. And it, it just seems to be the way we are today. Mm. Everybody wants to know what to do, whether or not, what's the weather going to be like or, you know, who Mark Boris is or whatever. I mean, there's always people asking questions all the time. Yep. And uh, so the, the whole objective of the mentor was actually to try and fill that space um, in a specific niche that is um, a specific segment that's small business owners. Mm. Because small business owners, there is no place where small business owners can have a Google-style discussion about small business. Yeah. So the mentor is the opportunity to have that discussion. And this is the beginning of it. We're just evolving it as we go. So the podcast is our first um, experiment with this interesting concept for a massively growing market in the world. Because small business is is already big, but it's going to become bigger because the – participation rate in employment today is changing um, and flexibility, working flexibility, flexibility hours, people not necessarily working from an office can work from a computer, yeah. is creating a whole new small business community. But they don't, Those people don't realize they're in that small business community yet. Mm. So as that grows, uh, there's going to be more and more demand for a Google-style, let's call it mentor, yeah. for small business owners. Um, so that's sort of my business plan and that is also my purpose. My purpose is actually to try and use a radio show like this or a podcast like this and ultimately a television show to direct people who are in small business to a place where they can get mentored. Mm. Now, it's not going to be Mark Boris personally. No. But it's going to be building up a library of all the questions that everybody answers. So every week on this show I ask, what question would you like to ask? Those questions are all going to get logged, yeah, and they're going to be in a library, and they're going to get segmented, and they're going to get categorised, and hopefully I answer the same time, the same answer every time someone's asked me the same question, <laughs> and over time the same with the mentor TV show, yeah, and put that all into a place where people can go and access and find out what it is they think they need to know about their business, and over time what would be perfect if we build a business community or a community of people, like-minded people who can actually ask each other. Yeah. So someone in small business who's going to go into do a digitized agency can go into the, a website, a place, and say, look, this is something I'm struggling with or questioning or 
interested to know about. And you might get up there and say, let's call it Ask a Mentor. Yeah. And you might get up there and say, listen, I've already experienced that. And you might share with him yeah. your experience. Costs him nothing. And that's sort of what Google does. But Google is the answer to the questions. Yeah. I'm saying what we're going to do here is we're going to have people answer the questions. Google, our Google, our mentor will be just sitting in the middle of it all. Yeah. And uh, so, you know, what we're, what we called it is called the mentor market. Very and, cool. And the mentor market is for people like-minded. And, and what we're hoping is we get good people with good hearts, which is what the millennials are, hmm. to be happy to get up and say to somebody, yeah, I'll answer that question. I don't mind sharing with them. It's not yeah. some, some big sort of trade secret. Yeah. I'll say, you know, because I'm already beyond that. I've already done that. I've tried it. I'm past it. I'm not going to charge them for it. I'll just get up there and say, yeah, ask me. I'll tell you what, what, I, what my experience has been. That's what I'm trying to do. Yeah. And I think the, you know, as a business owner myself and, and within my network of people that I know who are business owners, we, we all kind of have been there, done that, got the t-shirt and happy to share, yeah. like you say, happy to share experiences. That's your, that's your, that's the culture of your generation. Yeah. My generation would say, fuck you, I'm not telling you anything. <laughs> you do the hard yards yourself. <laughs> yeah, figure it out yourself. But me, I just think more people, there are more teachers in the world today than we've ever seen before. Yeah. And I, I go back to the example I gave you really early. Um, the great thing about the apostles and the disciples, and I'm not as I've been religious. I'm, I'm just talking about how they transacted. Was they're all teachers, every single one of them, happy to share and teach. And what I think there is a generation today of new teachers, people who are happy to share and teach. Yeah. Not in a lecturey sort of way, or a you know I'm telling you, but just sharing literally sharing what they've experienced and what their good experiences and their bad experiences. Yeah. And I think that's a new phenomenon that's rising up in the world today. Yeah, definitely. And that's, that's my purpose. Excellent. Um, I look forward to the show. Kyle, thanks very much. Thanks, Mark. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. Cheers. Cheers.